Welcome to the State of Business with the Ohio Society of CPAs. I'm Jessica Salerno, Senior Content Manager at OSCPA, and this is the show where we bring you the latest news impacting the business and accounting world from top experts. And after you finish listening to this episode, please rate and review us on whatever podcast app you're using to let us know what you thought. You've probably heard people say business is all about relationships. And although this is a common phrase, what's not as common is perspective on how to build and sustain those relationships. In this episode, we're talking about just that with Dr. Gleb Sapersky, the CEO of Disaster Avoidance Experts, LLC, a consulting, coaching, and training firm empowering leaders and organizations to avoid business disasters. He's the author of Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters, and his new book came out in April, titled The Blind Spots Between Us, How to Overcome Unconscious Cognitive Bias and Build Better Relationships. We discussed how cognitive bias plays into business communication, the different approach you should take with these relationships, common blind spots people have, and much more. Here's what he had to say. Well, unfortunately, business relationships often go astray. (laughs) Business relationships often end up in conflicts and misunderstandings where people don't know what's going on. They don't know why the person is not calling them back. You know, you don't know what happened, but the person has suddenly left. They've ghosted you. <laughs> you know, you don't know what's going on there. That's kind of one situation. Mm-hmm. The other situation uh, that is really bad is when you're working with someone closely and then you run into a situation where you have a misunderstanding, you have a conflict, it escalates and then it keeps going and going and going and suddenly, you know, the relationship splits because you can no longer collaborate with this person. You can't trust this person. Of course, trust is incredibly important. And so these are just two examples out of many, many ways that relationships, business relationships can go astray. Mm -hmm. And of course, accountants are in the role of being trusted advisors. The trusted advisor role is the essence of having a good, close relationship to your client. Because if you don't, are not a trusted advisor, you're not going to have many clients. And so if you want to make sure that you have good relationships with your clients, as well as with your peers, with your colleagues in the accounting profession, you need to be a trusted advisor. You need to know what are the blind spots that cause your relationships to go astray and how you can address them. And when we talk about understanding these relationships, and like you mentioned, being able to recognize those blind spots, in the book you talk about cognitive and social bias. Mm -hmm. So why is that so important and how does it play into those relationships? What we need to understand is that relationships are at heart are about emotions, are about feelings, how we feel about the other person. And unfortunately, our feelings are not adapted to the modern business world. Our feelings are actually adapted to the savanna environment. When we were living in, as hunters and foragers in small tribes of 15 people to 150 people. Now, it was very important for us to be tribal in that environment. That meant that we needed to care about people who look like us, who thought like us, who had our values, and not like people who don't. You know, we like people who went to Ohio State. We don't like people who went to Michigan. You know, we, so those are just some of the weird, unusual thought patterns that cause us to make bad decisions. Now, somebody who went to Michigan would make a fine business partner, would make a fine client, would make a fine colleague, but our intuitive dislike for them might cause us to not work with them (laughs) just because of this dislike. Mm -hmm. So you see kind of this emotional intuition causes us to already make bad decisions about clients, about business colleagues, about partners. You know, they're 
poor, poor choice of which team to root for doesn't say anything about them mm -hmm. as people with whom we should work or not work. But again, so, you, so this is where our feelings are leading us in the wrong direction. And these feelings, these tribal feelings, this is the origin, one of the big origins of the cognitive biases that we're talking about. Now, cognitive biases are the dangerous judgment errors that cause us to go astray, that cause us to make bad, bad decisions about other people and other things as well, plans, strategies, and so on. But in this book, we're talking about other people and relationships with them. There are over 100 cognitive biases. You can take a look at the list on Wikipedia of cognitive biases. I don't often recommend Wikipedia. In this case, I do. I know the people who are managing the page. It's a pretty good source. The book, The Blind Spots Between Us, talks about over 30 cognitive biases that are the most dangerous cognitive biases for relationships and how you can address them effectively. So you want to know about these cognitive biases. What are all the blind spots that cause us to make bad decisions that stem from our tribal background? And again, we're not only talking about liking and disliking other people based on whether they belong to our tribe or not. There are other things within the tribal background that cause us to make bad decisions. So for example, it was very important for us in the tribal environment to, again, be part of the tribe. If we're kicked out of the tribe, we die. Mm -hmm. If the tribe fell apart, it would die. So tribal cohesion was very important. Conformism was very important. That's another one that we can talk about. Another one was social status. Mm -hmm. It was very important for us to climb to the top of the tribal hierarchy because that's where we got the most resources. We were most likely to survive and reproduce, spread our genes. So we are the descendants of those people who were a very tribal, who cared a lot about the tribe and disliked other tribes, cared about tribe, people who are conformist, who conform to the standards of the tribe, and people who climb to the top of the tribal hierarchy care a lot about social status. And though those three dynamics, as well as a number of others, cause a lot of the cognitive biases that make real trouble for our relationships in the modern world. Mm. What are some of the more common blind spots when it comes to working and professional relationships that you see people fall into? One of the most common blind spots with accountants is called the illusion of transparency. So the illusion of transparency refers to people, not simply accountants, <laughs> being much worse at communicating than they think they are. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of research showing that people think that what they communicate is what the other person receives. And they think they're much more transparent than they are. So for example, they think that they, they are better, they, people think they're better at reading others and that others are better at reading them than is actually the case. So when people lie, let's go to that example. There's a lot of studies showing that when people lie, they think that other people can tell whether they're lying or not. Mm -hmm. Not the case. We have, there's a really interesting study where uh, security professionals from the FBI, say Secret Service, NSA, bunch of other you know <laughs> acronyms were tested on whether they can tell up whether somebody is lying or not, somebody they don't know. Mm -hmm. And their average score on being able to tell whether somebody is lying or not was 52%, which is just about as flip good as flipping a coin. Right, and right. these are people who are professionally trained at this. I mean, I think only the Secret Service were uh, better than you know, flipping a coin on <laughs> telling apart whether somebody is lying or not. Mm -hmm. So this is just one example of where we think we can read others better than we are. And there is another study that showed that people who lie to others, they thought that others were going to guess that they lied. The others weren't. They, they don't. We are much worse at spotting signs and reading others than we actually think we are. Mm -hmm. So you want to understand that what you communicate to your clients, it's going to be much harder for them to understand than you think it is. They need much more support and hand-holding than you think they do. And they need much more simplified language 
and much more signs of caring attention and support. So if you get them invested in believing that you're on their side, that you're trustworthy, that you're going to take care of their interests, they're going to accept what you tell them, the kind of advice that you give them, much more than if you just give them very complex, technical, perfectly done <laughs> mm -hmm. reports, but they will not understand the jumble of numbers that they're faced with, and they will run into a lot of trouble trusting you and using your services in the future. So that's just one out of many, many cognitive biases that we tend to run into, the illusion, uh, the illusion of transparency. Mm -hmm. And earlier you mentioned um, the illusion of superiority, mm -hmm. which when anyone has so much um, technical knowledge about a certain subject, I think it might lend itself to feeling like, oh, of course, like I'm the expert on this. Mm -hmm. Of course I know. But how does that come into play when people are dealing with um, professional relationships with coworkers, with clients, just in general, that feeling of superiority? Well, let's talk about first dealing with clients, and then we can talk about coworkers. Mm -hmm. So, with dealing with clients, it causes people, it causes accountants and other professionals, to have a pretty negative opinion of clients in many ways. They feel like, how can a client not understand this? This is obvious, mm -hmm. <laughs> and that is a subtype of related cognitive bias to illusion of superiority called the curse of knowledge, where once we learn something, it's much harder for us to remember what it's like to not know the thing. Mm -hmm. Now, think back to when you're learning how to read the profit and loss statement. Let's go with that example. Or um, any sort of complex, not even simple accounting. When you were first looking at it, it was hard to do. It was hard to figure it out. It was, you know, look at all these Excel spreadsheets and, you know, mm -hmm. go from one to the other. And what does this all mean anyway? Mm -hmm. It was complex to figure all of this stuff out. Now you can look at a profit and loss statement and immediately say how good a business is doing or not, or, you know, what the likelihood is of a client's certain taxes being like, so approximately how many, what's the tax refund or how much they'll have to pay. You can tell that pretty quickly from looking at very basic accounting information, mm -hmm. but your client can't. Right. <laughs> and they don't have this information. The things that you think are obvious, that you assume are obvious, are going to be very not obvious to them. So accountants tend to communicate badly to their clients. They tend to uh, communicate to their clients in a way that doesn't reach across what's called the inference gap. And this, I'm using a term here as an example of the kind of jargon <laughs> that, pe that accountants use, which they shouldn't use. So I'll explain what the inference gap is. The inference gap is the gap between where your understanding lies and where the client's understanding lies. So you want to understand, you want to look specifically at what is the distance between your understanding and the client's understanding. What are the specific terms that you have to explain? Sometimes maybe you can skip the terms and un explain the underlying principles to the clients instead of uh, explaining the terms. You want the client to feel like they can trust you, and you want to figure out what is the minimum inference gap that you have to skip. What is the minimum education mm -hmm. that you need to provide to your clients mm -hmm. in order for them to understand you? And you need to understand that you need to respect their expertise, their knowledge, their the client. They don't know nearly as much about the topic as you do so you need to support them and you need to feel them you need to have them treated in a respectful manner have them feel like you respect them help them feel like you respect their background they 
they know a lot about their topic. You know a lot about your topic. You know, so you don't you don't know nearly as much about their topic as they do. Mm -hmm. So respect their expertise. Understand that they don't need to be experts in accounting. You don't need to ex uh, explain everything you know to them. Figure out how much you actually do need to explain to them. And different people will prefer different things. Most people will prefer very simple explanations. Some people will prefer more complex ones. Mm -hmm. And then you can geek out on like the more complex terms. But don't give more complex information to people who don't want it. So you mentioned the inference gap, which reminds me of something else I read in the book, which was the empathy gap. Can you tell me more about that and why it's valuable for, especially for professional relationships, mm -hmm. which people might not necessarily associate empathy in the working world? And that's very unfortunate that people don't associate empathy emotions with the working world because research on decision-making in relationships shows that we make our decisions about relationships about 80 to 90 percent of our decision-making in relationships is emotional. Mm -hmm. It's about how we feel about the other person. It's not about how we think about the other person. Mm -hmm. It's how we feel. Do we like them? Do we click with them? Do they th we think that they fit our needs? Do th we think that they fit our styles, our personality? How much do we trust them? These are the sorts of things that people really care about in relationships. You know, you might think that somebody is a wonderful technical expert. And they're a jerk who you don't want to spend any time with. Right, right. <laughs> you, do you know any people like that? <laughs> you know, probably some of you do. And I know, I know some people are like that within my fields who I don't want to spend any time with, even though they're brilliant. You know, those two things sometimes correlate. <laughs> right. <laughs> so this is a problem. And the empathy gap refers to the cognitive bias of us underestimating the impact of emotions on decision-making, on mm -hmm. other people, on motivating other people. Other people are motivated much more by emotions than you give them credit for. Your employees, mm -hmm. if you have employees, or, or your colleagues or your clients, they're motivated much more by emotions than you give them credit for. Mm -hmm. So you need to very thoughtfully, very carefully study what causes them to have certain emotions? Mm -hmm. What causes them to have, what are they afraid of? What are they anxious about? A fear and anxiety are primary driving emotions in the workplace, even though we don't think about them. I mean, why do people, why are people so afraid of change? Mm -hmm. They are fearful of change. This is something that causes them to be fearful, and they don't change, and they don't want to accept change. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and this, uh, this comes from fear. It doesn't come from logic. It doesn't come from reason. You know, people are very much motivated by fear, by anxiety, by worry about losing stuff. They don't want to lose stuff. They're, so that's another sort of motivation. That people are motivated by excitement, by joy, by pleasure. Think about what you can do for other people to decrease their fear, to decrease their anxiety, to increase their pleasure, to increase their sense of trust in you. Because these are going to be the things, whether you're collaborating with a colleague or whether you're collaborating with your employees or with your supervisor or you're collaborating with a client, these are the things that are going to matter so much more. Again, 80 to 90 percent of what we do is driven by emotions. So they're going to matter so much more than what people think. What, how our decision making takes place, though I'll tell you a secret, is that we feel a certain way about a decision. Mm -hmm. Then we most likely make a decision without realizing it based on what we feel. And then we rationalize in our mind. We think about reasons to, to justify our decision after the fact, after we make it. Mm -hmm. That's a natural way to approach decision-making. Not the most effective way to approach decision. Mm -hmm. It's not the way that will get you the best decision. But it's how 
pretty much all the people around you will function mm -hmm. because that's natural intuitively. We've been taught to trust our gut, to go with our intuitions. And this is a very bad idea for good decision making, but you have to realistically accept that that's how other people at least will react and that's how they will feel and that's how they will make their decision. So you want to move away from that mode of decision making yourself, but you want to recognize it in other people and you want to be able to understand what's driving them, what's motivating them, what kind of emotions are causing them to do what they do and not do what they don't do. Mm -hmm. And then how can you effectively both understand those emotions and influence them in order to accomplish mutual shared goals of collaborating with whoever, whoever you're collaborating. So you want to understand also how to effectively influence them. And that's part of what the book talks about. How do you effectively influence other people, including folks who might not be very rational? Right. And when reading the book, I was thinking of most of these examples from a place where a relationship is already somewhat strong. The people, the two people have a good working relationship or personal mm -hmm. relationship. What would you say to people who maybe want to use this book to help mend a relationship that isn't great? Like you mentioned that coworker or that colleague that people might respect but don't want to spend a lot of time with. How could people use this information to help strengthen relationships that are not strong? Well, what you want to do with strengthening relationships that are not strong is figure out the emotions behind the weakness of the relationship. And the first thing, for, of course, is to figure out your, emo your own emotions mm -hmm. because you know, you're half of the situation, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the skill called emotional intelligence where you both learn about your emotions, how you feel, the kind of cognitive biases that cause you to make bad decisions about your relationship and you want to admit that there are some going to be some things on your side. And you want to learn about that. So be awareness of yourself and then be able to manage your emotions. So that's the f emotional intelligence. And then the, comes the social intelligence part. That's being able to learn about other people's emotions, the other person in the relationship, and influence their emotions. So you want to figure out, after you understand yourself, what's going on with you and how you can mend your fences on your side mm -hmm. of the fence, so to speak, then you want to figure out what's going on with the other person. You want to always, in all relationships at work, or in life, be the emotional adult in the room. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so because people generally aren't the emotional adults in the room. You have two, two people who are kind of childlike. They feel a certain way, and then they think that because that's what they feel, this is the right thing. Mm -hmm. You know, they feel anxious, therefore the other person is a is causing them to be fearful. They feel sad, therefore the other person is a saddening person. You know, They blame their emotions on other people, whereas re in reality, the only things that we can control in life are our thoughts, our behaviors, and our feelings. And our feelings, which talking about emotions, feelings, same thing, they come because of our beliefs, because of ingrained patterns in us. They don't become from other people. You know, you can look at an, an external event, external stimulus, and be happy about it, or sad about it, or excited about it, or whatever. That all comes from your beliefs about it. That all comes from what's inside you, your patterns. So you want to learn about that. Mm -hmm. And you want to be able to influence yourself to have the right emotions, the best emotions for the situation, ones that will, of course, align with your goals. So you want to figure out your goals and make sure that your emotions align with your goals. And then you want to figure out what are other people's emotions, the other person in the relationship? How can you influence their emotions to be aligned with mutual common shared goals? You want to focus on mutual common shared goals because if you're in a relationship, you have some shared goals. Maybe you have some conflicts around those goals, but you also have some shared goals. Mm -hmm. So then you want to figure out what are the shared goals and focus your attention and the other person's attention on the shared goals. 
Put aside the conflict if you want to rebuild the relationship and strengthen it. Focus on the shared goals. Focus on collaborating on the shared goals and reestablish the basis of trust with the other person. Because if you're in a challenging relationship, it likely indicates that some of the basis of trust has been shaken, mm -hmm. has been undermined. Trust is crumbling. So you want to focus on the shared goals, whatever you're working on, whatever you can focus on, and address those do some projects around the shared goals. And once you build up those shared goals and they are stronger and you have more trust, then you can slowly move on to the issues of conflict. But don't. St this is one of the biggest problems I see with people who are trying to fix relationships. They start on the conflicts. Never start on the conflicts. You mm -hmm. want to focus, first of all, on rebuilding trust, on rebuilding positive feelings. And that comes from collaborating together in positive emotional activities. So... The research on this topic suggests that you want to have at least five times as much positive emotions in the relationship mm -hmm. as you have negative emotions. That means that you need to focus much more on shared goals, on creating positivity, you know, go out and have a beer with this person, or you know, have coffee if you don't drink beer, or you know, whatever, have pizza if you don't like coffee, <laughs> whatever you want. But have positive relationships and then transition from that to working slowly on the least issues of conflict mm -hmm. and then working up to the bigger issues of conflict once you've resolved smaller conflicts. Now, when you're the emotional adult in the room, you have to realize that you want to learn about the other person's conflictual style. Everyone has a style of conflict that they prefer, mm -hmm. that they in interact with effectively. So you want to learn about the other person's conflictual style and adapt yourself to their style. It's not easy. It's not fun. That's why you're the emotional adult in the room, and that's what it, this is referring to, not being the kid. You know, When you're raising a teenager, you know that you can't, <laughs> you, you, you can't be the teenager with it when you're dealing with a teenager. You need to be the emotional adult in the room. Mm -hmm. Treat the other person in the relationship the same way as though they're the teenager and approach that person with that in mind. So slowly focus on issues of trust that build up and address smaller conflicts mm -hmm. to building up to larger ones. And I think you've hit on this in some of your answers um, that we've already discussed, but what would you say are the long-term benefits of really being able to spot these relationship blind spots and address them, especially from a professional's perspective? There's no question that the long-term consequences is professional financial success. Your relationships are the driver for your success when you are an accountant, when you are in the role of being a trusted advisor. Mm -hmm. Being a trusted advisor is the most important thing that an accountant can, can do. So you want to make sure that you develop those soft skills. And when we're talking about soft skills, they sound weak. Well, they're actually much stronger than the hard skills of technical competence because, again, like we talked about, clients can't tell apart your technical competence from Joe Schmo out there. Mm -hmm. They can't. This is simply the case. Right. So if they can't tell that apart, what they will look at is your presentation, your presentation style, your communication style, how much you help them feel good about themselves, uh, how effective are you at explaining complex concepts, how effective you are at crossing the inference gap. Mm -hmm. All the things that we've talked about in this podcast are what clients will be looking at. How effective are you at managing conflicts, which we just talked about. That is a very important skill that you need to have with clients. Mm -hmm. If you're not good at managing conflicts, you will not survive and thrive as a trusted advisor. So those are all the things that you need to learn to do if you want to have a business that survives, if you want to run your own business, if you want to be an effective solopreneur, 
or I mean, even when you're a partner in a firm, you need to be earning some business. You need to be bringing in some business, some clients if you're going to be at the top of the game. So that if you really want to succeed as an accountant, you need to focus on developing those trusted relationships. Thank you to Gleb for joining us to talk more about how to overcome blind spots in relationships. Please let me know what you thought of this episode or if you'd like to be on an upcoming episode at jsalerno, J-S-A-L-E-R-N-O at ohiocpa.com. Thanks for listening.